Hello, and welcome to the Path of Most Persistence. This is a place where we hear and share tenacious stories of overcoming obstacles with our partners who dare to share a bit of their own personal paths. Welcome to the Path of Most Persistence. It is October 18th, 2021, and we have with us Texas Workforce Chairman and Commissioner representing the public, Brian Daniel. Welcome, Chairman Daniel. How are you? Well, I'm, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast today. You know, we talked just uh, seems like a week or two ago at an advisory uh, board meeting that we were at. There's so many good things going on in Texas, Texas business, Texas economy at our universities. Uh, lots of exciting things to talk about. And so I'm really, really, really excited to have this opportunity for us to talk through I think some things that are important, not just to the work you're doing at the Nuclear Power Institute, but I think for the state as a whole, uh, there's just so many good stories that we're seeing and where we're seeing a good positive direction for the state to move. Absolutely. Your time here is very important, not only to us as, um, as those, as an organization that closely follows TWC, because our mission is to build, help build the Texas workforce. So we try to follow uh, your uh, organization as much as possible. That agency is uh, fundamental to us. And, um, and I, I don't need to tell you. Um, the past year or two or so, it feels as though it's all, you know, we've also lost time a bit, but this COVID era has really just been difficult. And, and I really am so interested in having you on as a chairman uh, of the Workforce Commission, not only because of, of the timeliness of it, uh, just because of the demands that employers and employees um, are, are seeking and young people are trying to figure out what their paths, what paths they should take, what their future might look like. I've discovered by being a fan of yours, uh, your LinkedIn account, you put on, you really put out some really uh, interesting, informative videos that I really thought uh, this chairman, he's with it and we need to capture some of that energy. So, you know, we have lots of different directions we can go because again, this is a podcast um, that is uh, really concerned with hearing and collecting stories of uh, resiliency, persistence, and I know you're one of the best people to talk about that during this time. So with that being said, can you just talk about some of the issues maybe the Workforce Commission has um, probably have over, not maybe overcome, but has faced during this COVID era and also maybe has overcome already or maybe even possibly working through? Well, you know, if we trace back, if we go back to 2019, we just look at the calendar year of 2019, you'll find a very successful year in terms of the economy of Texas. There was job growth. There was the ability uh, for workers to be able to find some promotions in the workplace. And there was just a, really a general good feeling about the economy and where it might be headed. The unemployment rate was down in that uh, 3.345 range, uh, 3.5 being a very low unemployment rate for the state. And really for the entirety of 2019, we saw these types of economic conditions uh, that were really giving, I think, a lot of optimism and a lot of upside potential for both employers and employees and really anybody kind of watching this state's economy and where it might go to. 
We, in February of 2020, which is the month before we saw the first effects of the pandemic, we set a record in Texas for the most number of Texans working at any one time. So what we saw in calendar 2019 really wasn't some kind of economic anomaly. I, nobody thought it was at the time, but the numbers continued to bear out into the first part of 2020. Now, on or about March 12th is generally the first day that we use as a marker for when we saw the pandemic effects on unemployment insurance benefits. You know, we began to see the tumble of the unemployment rate as it moved upward uh, into really some uncharted positions for us. It's when we began to see people have to go home as a result of COVID-19 and the different measures uh, that localities and businesses and others were taking. It was gradual. So, you know, if we look back on that, we can see it very easily charted out of how it built. But at the time, we had no sense of how big or small this was going to be. No one could tell us that. And so we just simply started relying on our processes and our procedures to ensure that people who were out of work were able to access the kinds of benefits that they might expect. At this point, March of 2020, you know, the federal government had not even begun to contemplate additional programs. So we were running everything as best we could through the state's unemployment uh, benefits system. Now, here's part of the issue with that. So this system set up to handle historical levels of unemployment. At any given time, people are transitioning jobs, companies are transitioning employees, different things are happening within the economy. And so unfortunately, um, there's always a certain number of people on unemployment benefits at any given time. That's why that insurance program exists. It's that, that kind of cushion for people who lost their job through no fault of their own or a, a company that's experiencing maybe some short-term cash flow issues and needs to make some temporary layoffs. That's exactly why people pay benefits or pay premium in so that those benefits can get paid. Well, we didn't contemplate, frankly, a worldwide pandemic. I don't think anybody calculated that into the algorithm. But we were looking at a 2019 where we paid total for the entire year about, uh, about a little under 750,000 Texans unemployment benefits. We, we paid that in, in April. Uh, so we, we were at times doing a year's worth of work in a month early pandemic. Now, the thing people probably know the most about or heard about or read about is that our phone systems couldn't keep up with the demand. Absolutely true. March, April, May of 2020, uh, in the sense that we were getting 3,000 phone calls a minute uh, during that time period. We were open, we had already opened 12 hours a day. We were, we were opening seven days a week. But let, me, let me just give some perspective of what 3,000 phone calls a minute looks like. The average phone call is about 10 minutes. So we've got to get some information from you. We've got to find out where you would fit into the system to see if you're, you're eligible for benefits or not eligible for benefits. It takes about 10 minutes uh, to do all of that. At, at 3,000 phone calls a minute in a 12 hour day, to answer the volume of phone calls that that represents, we would have needed 30,000 phone operators. 
we had 400. And, and so one of our first jobs was finding companies who could provide us uh, temporary phone operators so that we could get enough phone lines to be able to answer, unfortunately, not 30,000 calls. It ended up being about 2,500 operators at any one time. But we had to get thousands of operators trained on some fairly complex calculations for unemployment benefits. At the same time, we had to find a way to get some phone lines so that we could talk to everybody. We still have some contractors. That's never a perfect process. And here, um, it, it went better in some ways and, and worse in some others. But within about 30, 45 days, you know, we had folks in place that could answer those, those calls that we were getting. Now, remember, the calls are the most complex transaction that we do. Yes. Yes. In, in greater than 90% of unemployment benefits claims are filed online. And the same was true through the pandemic. Now, we ended up with about uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 4 million unique Texans that, that claimed unemployment benefits during that time. And remember, 90% of those are online. Yes. The computer system that processes this was uh, designed while I was still in college. And that was not yesterday. So it, it's, a, it's an older computer system. It's got some front-facing. Uh, the, the part the customer interacts with is, is some fairly new cloud technology so that we can have a better user experience. But the underlying power behind that is an older computer system that's very good at what it does because it just sits and processes unemployment claims and doesn't get confused with a lot of other things. But it's, it's not a new operating language. In fact, it's an yes. antique operating language. And so to reprogram that computer, you know, we've got three or four people we can access to do that. And we're having to write new programming every day to deal with this volume. Now, this is April, uh, end of March, April, May, part of June of 2020. At that point, the federal government began adding new programs to the unemployment benefit system. So you had programs for people who were 1099 workers or sole proprietors or self-employed. And that's a, that was a new kind of environment for unemployment benefits. You had folks um, that were receiving additional benefits via the federal government. And we paid all those out of our trust fund, although the, the federal government took the tab for, we've paid out about $55 billion, that's billion with a B. We've yes. paid about $55 billion in benefits since March of 2020. And uh, about 47, 48 billion of that was paid by the federal government. We had to pass it through our system for that to happen. So we're, we're moving a lot of people through the system that aren't familiar with the system. It's their yeah. first time to deal with unemployment benefits. Uh, and and I mean, honestly, it was chaotic. It was not a customer-friendly experience. Uh, and looking back, we can see all those things. We can also see all the measures that we took trying uh, to help people through that process. And then let's talk about one more thing uh, that's related to this, that, that unless you're in the business, you probably don't give a lot of thought to. Uh, unfortunately, technology makes it somewhat easy for people with criminal intent to get social security numbers, addresses, other forms of identifying information. And so at the same time, we're trying to make sure that people who've lost their job through no fault of their own, this is pandemic related job loss. Yes. People that lost their job can get their benefits. We're having to screen out uh, an, uh, just an incredibly 
uh, increased volume of fraudulent activity on uh, the system. And so that, that's another slowdown that the customer does not appreciate. And I, I can appreciate that they don't appreciate that. Yes. It's just one of those things that we have to work through. That's, that's really where we saw ourselves through August, the addition of new programs, the addition of supplemental benefits, the addition of people to the system that hadn't previously been on the system. Um, but during that time period, we saw a number of companies just really be able to understand the pandemic better, understand how they were going to deal with their customers. And companies, businesses, small or large, it doesn't really matter because if they all found strategies to deal with the situation at hand. I think in March, April, and May, I think the alternative for many companies was I don't know how I'm going to serve my customers because I can't see my customers because they either can't come out or won't come out. So you know what? I need to lay everybody off. And that, that happened. So here you have this pandemic that's bearing down on people. We don't know at this point a lot about the illness. And so people are necessarily nervous and scared. The media is reporting the worst because that was the news. Um, that's what the media does. They don't give you necessarily a lot of context to deal with the fact of what's really going on. They're telling you the extremes on both ends because that's what makes news. The, the normal's not news. And, and so I understand the media's perspective, but in a situation like this one, it just adds to the chaos of what we're dealing with. So people have this idea that if I get this, I can get really sick. Uh, we're, we're beginning to hear of people who are, are losing their lives over the, the illness. And so this adds to this, this concern and this anxiety and this chaos. And, and then now you've lost your job on top of all of that uncertainty. And so we, we had to coach a lot of people through the system. But by August, September, really September, companies began to find strategies. They, they were reopened. People were engaging in commerce again. You know, we, we saw the advent of curbside, curbside delivery. Yes. We saw the advent of margaritas to go. I like that one. We, we saw the ability for people to work from home. Um, things like Zoom, which is what we're talking on today, or Teams, yeah. or or, or WebEx or all the tools that we, we sort of had, but we didn't know how well they worked. Well, by September, we knew exactly how well they worked and it was very well. And so we began to see people kind of slowly start coming off those benefits. And the chaos that was driving the marketplace began to calm down a little bit. But I'll tell you, we only, it was 12 more months. It was September of this year before we really saw some stability in the, in the workforce, some stability in the marketplace. And frankly, some stability in, in job creation for me to be able to say that, you know, I think we're on a path now where I, I see our way out uh, as the as the as uh, coronavirus and, and COVID-19 become, I think, viewed as more endemic. People are beginning to find strategies to deal with this personally. Um, and people have arrived at various, you know, I'd normally would say comfort levels here, but I don't think anybody's right. comfortable with what's going on. But people have found things that they have confidence in. It's a confidence level yeah. that they can then work on that. And, and so I, here we are sort of 12 months after we first saw some rays of light. And, and I think we're, we're at the point where we can honestly say those rays of light are uh, legitimate. They're describable. I, I can show you economically why that works. And we, we began to see people come off of unemployment in great droves. The flip side to that, though, is 
And now we find ourselves in a bit of an inflationary period. We're having some significant supply chain issues and we're having actually some significant workforce disruptions at the entry level of the workforce. There's a lot of reasons for that. I'm sure we'll get into them today. Um, but the, the fact remains that what was uh, very uh, chaotic, is, is the word I keep using over and over because that's how, that's how it was, that's how it is, how it ever shall be, I think, uh, when we described that. But we, we found some ways to give our customers a little more structure. We found some ways to give our customers a little more confidence. Um, I, I don't think it always worked, but uh, it began to work much more of the majority of the time. And then we find ourselves today really in a pattern that looks very reminiscent of how we've seen the workforce in Texas come out of other recessions. Yeah. This one was much more compact in a lot of ways, and the scale was significantly off the charts uh, compared to anything that we've seen in recent history. Um, yeah, so we have no guide. We have no historical guide, but we keep plugging away, and I, I think we're finding some right answers today. Well, I, it's a tremendous amount of work, and, and I applaud the work that you all are doing. Um, obviously, as I mentioned before, we follow very closely what you all are doing because we want to uh, emulate a lot of that. We, we take your lead in many different directions, but also uh, just for transparency purposes, I also sit on the Gulf Coast Workforce Board, and um, so I've, I've been aware uh, of all the things that have been going on that maybe not the general public doesn't uh, get to know and to to really see the effort, you know, to work with those employees and to hear from those employees that are doing the day-to-day. -day. So at all levels, we, we commend you for that work and, and the adaptability we appreciate. And, and as I mentioned in the opening, uh, what I really appreciated as I followed the news and tried to see what's going on, you know, you did start putting out these LinkedIn videos and I just thought were really quite brilliant. And that's just not to, you know, give you a lot of <laughs> unworthy praise. It's worthy because those videos are brief, they're smart, they're relevant. They, uh, you're asking for interaction by ask, posing questions, asking for input. And, and we take note of those types of of actions that others are taking because we like to learn from others and just to improve our skill sets. But what I want to really focus on at this point, if we could pivot just a bit, is that TWC is a huge uh, commission, has a tremendous amount of exemplary, uh, not only commissioners, but the workforce behind it themselves to make everything possible. And there goes the individuals, all those individuals that had to put in those hours because when you talk about the 3,000 calls a minute and all the things, it's just not some nebulous TWC out there. Those are individuals working. Those are individuals that are doing the work, um, you know, working the long hours, feeling the stress of trying to get things done as everyone I'm sure is giving them uh, lots of um uh, outcomes they would like to see happen. And I just, I wonder just how, how are, uh, what are your observations of maybe you yourself or even some of your staff, your colleagues of how they're able to persist? And this very, it has to be very stressful. How is it that you all are able to continue and, you know, to keep moving in a positive uh, path and apparently 
do so in such a positive way because between the three commissioners, we couldn't ask for any more uplifting, positive individuals. So thank you for that. But how is it? It can't just be a mask you put on and off. You guys are quite consistent. Well, I think the consistency is, is to the credit of the staff here. There's probably 4,500 or so uh, TWC staff people statewide. During this pandemic experience, you know, our folks in unemployment insurance operations, including the appellate divisions, our, our attorneys to analyze these things, uh, certainly our workforce division in terms of, of uh, getting people training in unemployment. Um, it's not a mask. Uh, these folks are, are, they're here to serve people. I, I you know, we, we screen like anybody by interviews and applications and different things like that. But what I have found, the, the compassion that exists in the workforce here at the Workforce Commission uh, is, um, frankly, it's, it's just outstanding. And since it's inspiring in a lot of ways, how much folks care about the people that they're serving. If you hear coaches talk about athletes, you know, they'll talk about things that you can't coach. And, and that kind of compassion, you really can't coach. I mean, people really just have to bring that with them when they get here. And they do. And as you know, from your work, you know, typically when you assemble a team that has high levels of compassion, assemble a team that really wants to work with individuals, that becomes contagious and it starts to attract, you know, similar kinds of, of, of players to that particular team. And I think that's what we've seen here. Uh, there was exhaustion. There was frustration. There, there was all the things that you would expect with uh, you know, 80 hour weeks and all the things that go along with that. But you know what? Um, I don't think we had uh, a single customer service representative leave because of the workload. Some became ill and had to leave. You know, the typical sort of life things that impact someone's job, but mm -hmm. no one left because they were overwhelmed. No one left because they couldn't handle it. In fact, you know, you, you have to, a lot of the times as a manager, you have to really make sure people go home sometimes. Yes. Um, and I think our management team was spending more time making sure people actually did go home and take a break and, and, um, and really find ways to serve their customers while they were on their shift. But, but I'll tell you, the shift to 12-hour days, uh, you know, we, we had to pay attention to the individuals. We had people yeah. who were not going to the grocery store to buy food for their families because they wanted to be at the office. And we had people, uh, you know, I, I'm probably, probably revealing too much about TWC, but a certain number of our customer service personnel, they don't have to come into a, a call center or an office. Technology yeah. lets us set yeah. those up in various locations. But, but we have physical call centers. And yeah. People were coming to the call center to help do other things. And, and we didn't want them to neglect their own families while they were trying to provide service to the people of Texas. And so we had to devise some innovative strategies to make sure people could have a, have a, a Tuesday afternoon off to take care of, of grocery stores and other essential kinds of things that needed to happen. And, and I, I credit the management staff for recognizing that, that our, our humans are humans too. And, yeah. and so while we want to ensure that every Texan gets the best customer service experience that we could deliver. We can't do that at the expense uh, of our own people. And um, yeah, I, I can go, we can take the rest of however much time we've allotted for this to talk about um, my thoughts on, on why the TWC staff really showed uh, what perseverance and persistence looks like 
in terms of providing that customer service experience. But I think you get the picture. These folks uh, did it from their heart. Um, they, they, I, I could call them all by name because of uh, different things that each of them did to contribute to that experience. And, yes. and we tried to find some ways to take care of them along the way, but frankly, um, they probably gave more than they got during this, uh, during this time period. And now that things are at least approaching what is a more understandable kind of normal for us, uh, you know, we haven't forgotten what they've done and, and the lessons that we've learned from them. Well, I think that's so impactful and it speaks to, to leadership and management and all the things, but certainly that goes to those unsung heroes. I think we have them all in our offices, all around us. Uh, and those servant leaders, you know, sometimes we think of servant leadership as just those at the top that are leading, leading by example. But I think that's also, we're all, for those that realize their, the impact, their influence that they will, no matter their position, we're all leaders in a certain capacity. If people are watching us and they're following us, and clearly that uh, your uh, commission is full of those unsung heroes and servant leaders. So again, as a Texan, I, I thank you. I appreciate that. And especially as an agency from which we work, we thank you for that. But taking this a little bit further and just uh, again, thinking about uh, the 360 view of all of our uh, audiences and who are listening to us, I wanna take it just a little bit further and, and maybe perhaps chairman, if you can talk, give a little guidance or a pep talk or inspiration or insight to those young students, be it those that are in their senior year of high school or college or you know technical school, wherever they are, or maybe they just went directly into the workforce. What are some maybe uh, words of wisdom and inspiration you can give them during this, again, challenging time, but how, uh, with your experience, how can you, how, what words can you provide them that you think would give them some guidance for the future? Well, you know, uh, my oldest daughter graduated from college during the pandemic and my youngest daughter graduated from high school during the pandemic. So we've been having conversations like this one in, in our household uh, for quite some time now, the, uh, the better part of 18 months. You know, for my older daughter who graduated from college, uh, graduated from Trinity University down in San Antonio. She has a degree in finance. Uh, she did very well with that. She enjoyed that. Um, the job market when she graduated in, in May just didn't uh, look that promising, or at least she didn't see what she wanted to see in that job market. And so uh, she's pursuing a law degree out at Texas Tech University, and I'm proud of her. I, I think she'll actually make a great advocate, and, and uh, she's doing well out there. Her younger sister graduates from high school, um, has some sense that she knows what she wants to major in. Um, so she's, she's an ag communications uh, major out at Texas Tech also, and she I was an ag communications graduate from Texas Tech, so she may have had some coaching there, but, but uh, she is really enjoying her coursework. But I got to tell you, this, this is the first, this is her third semester. This is the first normal semester she's had at Texas Tech, Texas A&M, University of Texas, it doesn't matter what school. Um, the, the two semesters, uh, fall of 20 and spring of 21, there was nothing normal about those uh, semesters. And that gets discouraging because you don't have anything, you don't have any historical basis to rely on. You know, the, the senior, um, she, you know, she knew what her first three years were like, and she knew that this wasn't normal. And 
she knew that she could, she had the ability and the capacity to go to graduate school and she could do that. I, I think my younger daughter in some ways really sort of looks at this uh, with a lot more anxiety because she doesn't really have any historical basis to hang it on. Here, here's what I'd tell any young person. You, you need to figure out, you need to figure out the three things that you think you could do for the next five years, whatever that is. And, and do it this way, figure out what you want to do. And then let's figure out what it would take for you to get there. So, you know, I, I could hear some answers right now. Well, I want to make some money. Well, yeah, me too. So how are we going to make that money? We've got to find something that interests us, something that maybe fits uh, the, the types of hobbies that we have, something that we're just particularly good at, something somebody always told us we were good at. And we've really got to zero in on that and find out the most efficient way to get what we need to do that. So let's just say for the sake of argument that you, you really like working with electricity. You want to be an electrician. You don't want to be an electrical engineer. You want to be an electrical engineer. You go to Texas A&M or another school and you major in electrical engineering. That's how you do that. But if you, if you want to be an electrician, because it's just interesting to you, you're going to need a license from the state of Texas to be a, an apprentice electrician. And then you're probably going to want to enter a, a registered apprenticeship program for electricians so that you can get paid while you do your four years worth of school to learn to be a journeyman electrician, which is another license you got to get from the state before they'll turn you loose to start working on people's houses or building new ones. And I think for a lot of young people, understanding that not only are there steps to where you got to get, there's actually people who love to help you with it. I think sometimes that's hard to get at. So whether you're graduating from college or you're graduating from high school or you're graduating from the eighth grade, I, I think sometimes we don't do students the best service by sitting them down and saying, okay, what is it you want to do? And let me help you draw a map so you can get to where you want to be the quickest and the most cost-effective way we can get you there. You know, I want to design electrical devices. Well, you need to be an electrical engineer. I want to work on electrical devices. Maybe you should be an electrician. And it's a different path for each one. There's nothing wrong with, let's just say, going to university because you don't know what else to do and you want to see what interests you and you think you have an idea. That, that, that's not going to hurt you any. You may spend a little more money than you wanted to. You, know, you, you may unfortunately run up some, some student loan debt that you didn't necessarily want to have. But if it helps you get to that point where you want to be, well, then you can devise a plan to deal with that. Where I get concerned is the number of people who go to college, take out a large amount of student loan debt, and still don't have a better idea of what it is that they want to be doing, how they want to earn their living, how they want to feed their family or, or buy that house or get that car. And I, I get really concerned about that. You know, there's costs right? And there's investments. You know, my, my daughter, let's tackle my older one with a finance degree, that she really enjoyed that field. I, I think there's a chance she may still go in that field. But both that finance degree and the law degree she's working on now, the, the, any debt she may incur to get those is an investment in her future. Versus a student who took a degree in something that looked good on paper, but they didn't really ever understand how it was going to get them into the job that they wanted to have. 
Um, and that's really just become something in the cost column for them. And they haven't really realized that investment. So any young person who is, is sort of stuck uh, on you know, what next, like, how do I do this? What do I do? How do I get started on this? I think the answer really becomes as simple as what do you, what do you want to do? And I've been in high schools. I've been at colleges. I've talked to teachers at all levels. I've talked to students at all levels. And unfortunately, we just haven't built in enough time to sit young folks down and say, okay, what is it you need to be doing and how is it we can help you get there? And so I think that's the real coaching point that I would like to encourage people, whether it's you're at the university, community college, you run an apprenticeship program. Let's help people actualize their goals uh, and help do that. If you've tried to hire a plumber lately, you know I'm 100% right about finding some people with a passion for plumbing and getting them licensed as soon as we can. If you've tried to hire an electrician lately, you know the same thing. If you've tried to get your car worked on, if you've tried to get some improvements done to your house, these are skilled jobs. Yes. These are middle skills jobs. And before we get done today, you're going to hear a whole lot from me about how we can end the middle skills gap in Texas. But these are high paying jobs. Yes. where you can own your own business in an entrepreneurial sort of way and earn a salary that would allow you to do almost all the things that you might want to do in life. And I think we've entered this phase where we, we are concerned about student loan debt in college, and we should be. And we're concerned about people getting in the workforce, and we should be. And we're concerned about not having enough of anything, and we should be. We should be concerned about all those things. And in fact, we are, and we're working on it. But what gets lost in all that concern is understanding, okay, you just told me you're interested in a thing. I can see that your passion is real. Let me give you all the facts about that thing, what it costs, how you do it, and how long it's going to take. And then you have to make a risk-reward kind of calculation. And if I'm talking to a young person, it's, you know, I know you don't like this. I know you don't want to have to make such a heavy decision all by yourself. But the fact of the matter is, is only you can make that decision. I, I can't make it for you. But if I'm doing my job, I can give you all the information you need to make a decision where you really haven't hurt yourself down the road. And I think, I think the anxiety of the pandemic has given us some different things to think about and some different ways to think yeah. about it. The job market is still behaving uh, somewhat erratically, and it will for a little while. Uh, th these, these nerves that young people have, whether they're 14, 18, or 22, or, or maybe 51, like me, um, these nerves that they're feeling over this, um, they're pretty real. And it's, it's not as if we've charted over this territory before. And so I think any amount of reassurance we can give young people making these types of career decisions will we'll immediately reward all of us uh, with their increased confidence in their ability to go out and make a difference. And at the end of the day, uh, if you can go out and make a difference, then you've won the game. Well, this is very reaffirming, reaffirming because back when uh, 
NPI was first stood up, uh, it was TWC that provided, you know, some of those initial seed funds. And then after a couple of years, it was uh, supporting another student program, a high school program we had developed. And that was WIT, Workforce Industry Training. And that's something that is currently in Texas high schools all over the state. We even have a WIT junior in junior highs and things like that. But it's based on exactly what you're talking about because, again, our tie to TWC and that program really is, it's a year-long program and we have as educators that are leading those programs and students that are part of it. And the beauty of those kinds of programs and hearing from you just reaffirms and helps us sharpen these types of programs is that we, although we're, we're part, uh, we're connected to a four-year institution, obviously, but our all of our industry partners say it's that 70% of their workforce are those two years or technical degrees, those certified uh, skills that they need. And so that really informed us from the very beginning. Um, and especially as a, you know, a, a K-12 educator, a high school principal all those years before NPI, we just never had the opportunity in, in education for so long, it was either no degree or a bachelor's degree. You, you didn't really talk about the, the middle and, and what a disservice um, because there's so much richness uh, in the middle, not only because of literally the money you can make for those two year, those one year certificate programs, those uh, associate degree programs, but uh, that's what our industry partners say to us. So when we hear from you as the chairman, and of course our industry partners that tell us, you know, 70% of their workforce, they're not looking for bachelor or higher degrees, they're looking for those skilled uh, workers. And that helps us, that helps us build our partnerships, that helps us identify our goals and, and build out our programs. But I think with all of that, you know, being said, I think it's so important whenever we have platforms such as this, you representing the state and us as far as, well, we're, we're part of a state agency, but we're just a, a small institute within one. But I think it's important for folks to hear us talk about this because we are being intentional to be inclusive to all different types of, of goals individuals have, young people have, uh, parents have for their young people, be it going directly into the workforce or if it's one year, two year, whatever type of degree, we're trying to make that possible. And we can only make that possible if we tighten our partnerships, agency to agency, universities to K-12 and industry opening up their doors. And that has been very impactful uh, because it gives students and teachers, definitely teachers, educators, they really need to hear this along with students so they can you know, implement this information into their curriculums. But it makes it uh, so where they can touch and feel and hear it. It's so easy to talk about it sometimes in a classroom. And, and again, you know, sometimes students don't make that connection because they don't hear about it at home or they don't see it. They've never seen an example of that. So this just really reinforces uh, our desire, our goals, and it's only gonna strengthen our efforts to, to make ties. And, and hearing your message is really important. And I think um, we're, we'll be sure to share your message today, of course, with all of our audiences, but with our colleagues as we continue to collaborate and build partnerships. Thank you for that because it helps us stay focused. Oh, absolutely, thank you.
so I had a question uh, when it comes to getting that message across to students uh, as far as you know, making sure that they know what options are available and encouraging them to pursue those options and what's um, what best fits you know, their personalities or their interests um, and where they may end up, uh, especially going into the workforce is mentorship. So whenever we think of mentorship, it um, usually comes from a position of authority or uh, something like that. But I know there are mentors all around us. They could be colleagues and coworkers. And I wanted to ask you, you know, especially in the trying time in the past 18 months that we've had, um, how do you see mentorship playing a role in that, those sort of situations or uh, instances with especially students, but also, you know, that, that workforce that might have found themselves without jobs and everything? Yeah, you know, I think the strength of finding a mentor in your field of interest, uh, I can't even begin to assign uh, the value to that because it's so high. And we, I think, I think many of us instinctively find people that we feel like can offer us. It, it's not always about advice. It's not always about, uh, you know, showing me the path. Sometimes it's just, it's just about reassurance. And sometimes it's about stability. Sometimes I need to say out loud an idea that I have, and I need someone that I trust to say, um, that's not a bad idea. That, that, that's an idea that you could definitely run with. That's, you're, not, you're not really thinking uh, in, in a crazy sort of way. I, you know, I think there's some strength to that. And so if, if your idea of a mentor is that, I think that's pretty important. I, I think a lot of young people, and, and by young people here, I'm really talking about high school students, you know, I think a lot of high school students, I think they find those mentors and their CTE teachers. I'm being really honest. I, I think we all have fondness for one or two, maybe three uh, high school teachers. Some people talk about their English teacher. You know, some people talk about their chemistry teacher. Um, but I, I bet most, I bet the majority would talk about a CTE teacher that they had the ability to interact with. And I'll tell you why I think that is. I think because that CTE teacher is pursuing their passion, that passion translates directly to the students in terms of that particular field. So for me, I came out of the agriculture sector. Um, my high school agriculture teacher, his passion for the subject of agriculture was completely contagious. And Texas Tech invited me to go to school there, uh, courtesy of them. So they paid for that with some scholarships that I got. I learned a lot about agriculture. I stuck around and got a master's degree in agriculture because it was a field that I really grew completely interested in through my undergraduate experience. But uh, Texas Tech or Texas A&M, uh, neither one, both of whom have great agriculture programs. It wasn't their recruiting uh, that got me positioned to be able to do that successfully. It was my high school ag teacher. So Sometimes that's an electrician, uh, that's an electricity. Sometimes it's a, a plumbing, sometimes it's an automotive repair. Sometimes it's family and consumer sciences. Sometimes it's, it's business and DECA. Um, it, it takes on a lot of different forms. I mean, you gotta, you gotta sort of think about the fact that, that in excess of 50% of the jobs in this state are middle skills jobs, meaning you have to have a post high school credential but you don't have to have a, a bachelor's degree or higher to do that job. That's, that's more than half the jobs in the state. 
And the truth is, is about 10% uh, less Texans than that have the credentials they need. So if there's, if 52% of the jobs are middle skills jobs, only 44% of Texans have those types of credentials. And I think the pathway for people to get started on these good jobs is probably going to be in high school and it's probably going to be some experiential learning experience they had via CTE or something related to that. You know, I was a high school athlete and I, I, I was really focused on that and would have played college sports, but for an injury. Um, already was being recruited to play college sports, but I had a, I had a, a well, a career, I'm not sure what kind of career it was going to be, but I had a career ending injury, uh, that wouldn't let me play football anymore. And so I, uh, you know, I, I became completely immersed in academics. And if it hadn't been for that ag teacher who, who managed to get me interested in something that, that wasn't a football, um, it, it might not have gone as, as well as it's gone for me in terms of, of, of my career. So, I think for a lot of students, that mentor um, is sometimes just a kind of a shared passion for a subject. And when I was 16, I wasn't, I was not seeking a mentor and I didn't really feel like one was looking for me, although I, that's been proved not true. That ag teacher was working very hard to be a mentor to all of us. But it's, it's, it's knowing that you can trust that person and it has to be kind of a genuine interest on the part of that person. You know, if, you're, if your English teacher is telling you to be a nurse, you, you know, you're kind of like, well, why aren't you a nurse, right? But, you know, if, if your ag teacher is telling you you should be in agriculture, you're kind of like, I don't know, you got a pretty cool gig, man. You, you got a truck to drive and we go to stock shows and we go do contests and we learn about cool stuff you know, I might want to do what you do, right? You're not telling me to do something different from what you're doing. You're telling me to do exactly what you're doing. And so even like in the work you're doing, you know, it's, it's people that are there and they're engaged and, and, uh, and, and your mentor is, is someone that you've selected that gives you that kind of confidence and stability. And then you'll find, um, you didn't really ask me this, but I'm going to tell you anyway, you'll find that uh, as you get into the workforce, your mentors will be younger and older than you. Um, you, I derive as much or more inspiration from people 20 years, um, my, my chronological junior, um, but they're in the field, they're doing something pretty cool, pretty exciting. And, uh, I can get just as, I can get just as fired up for you, uh, as I can, uh, for myself, if it's something pretty cool that you're working on. And maybe that's a function of age. I, I find this to, I, I get as much joy from watching somebody else. Uh, catch a fish as I ever did catching a fish myself. And I still try to do go catch a lot of fish myself. But I, I find that when I take somebody with me, who's maybe not done a lot of that, or, or, you know, they don't get a chance to do a lot of that. Um, you know, I, I'll gladly set down my, my fishing rod so that they can catch a fish. That's, that's as much joy for me as it is for them sometimes watching them get to do that. And I find the same thing to be true in the workforce. Perhaps that's why that's why some of the younger employees maybe give me so much inspiration is because I see their unlimited potential, and it and it keeps me pretty fired up to make sure that you know I can use the whatever influence or responsibility I may have accrued, you know, that I can use that influence to make sure that they get to realize their goals as well. That's that's to me getting to be probably the height of coolness right there is using whatever power you've been able to muster in the workplace um, to really further the careers of other folks and, and, and the mission for the group that you're working for. I, 
I, I know uh, instinctively that not all of us are, are working somewhere where we truly believe in everything that's going on, but I'm pretty sure everybody on this, on this podcast today is, and, and I think you know what I'm talking about when I say I, I as much want to know that, look, when I'm not a workforce commissioner anymore, they're going to put my picture on the back wall that's around the corner down here, and it's going to say the years that I was here. And nobody but the other commissioners even knows where this wall of photos is because nobody ever goes over there. And that's going to be that, you know, whatever legacy I have here at the Workforce Commission is not going to be my name. It's going to be the programs that we put in place, like our middle skills uh, gap initiatives or our apprenticeship initiatives or things we're doing with vocational rehabilitation for folks experiencing disabilities. Those programs and watching those programs grow, but more importantly, watching the next generation of leaders for those programs, that kind of mentoring cuts both ways. It's absolutely critical for an organization. You know, the, the short version of that long monologue is uh, find the folks that keep you fired up about what you're working on and uh, hang out with those folks. Well, I'm going to um, just uh, disagree with you a little bit. I don't think it's a function of age since we're the same. I think it's just for passion for what we do, right? It's just about the passion, not of age. <laughs> Uh, hey, so, <laughs> I, I will stand corrected. I'll take that for sure. Okay. I heard that and I went, oh, no, sir. No, sir. I don't think <laughs> I can let that one go. But what I, I, I'm trying to be mindful of, of your time and we so appreciate it. But um, as we close out, if there's anything that you would like to add before we say goodbye and part until the next time we meet, uh, is there anything you'd have uh, to add, Chairman Daniel? Yeah. I would just say this, you know, this this Texas economy that we've been experiencing the last 10 or 15 years, really, uh, that's had all this opportunity for people. And there's a lot of folks working hard to make sure that remains the case. Uh, myself, things that's going on at Tees and Texas A&M at large, all the major universities here in the state. Um, there are a lot of folks that want to see that continue. There's a lot of business owners in the state that are working hard to see that continue. Um, and, and it's for lots of different reasons, but it's the same net result. Uh, we want to make sure that there's exciting jobs. We want to make sure that there's abundant jobs. We want to make sure that TWC does all it can to make sure that if 50% if or 55% of the jobs in this state are middle skills, that 55% of Texans have those skills. And that yes. students that need college degrees get those degrees. And students that don't need college degrees uh, get the credentials that they need. The folks that are working together on this, uh, we will see success. That's the three of us and, and some of the folks that will be listening to this. We're going to find success. And I think uh, the satisfaction of that success is going to continue to drive people to join this effort to put a, a lot of different kinds of resources in place to ensure uh, that we continue to find success. We are a young state. We have more people under 18 who haven't entered the workforce yet uh, than are, are probably going to serve in the workforce over the next little bit, meaning we'll have more people workforce eligible in 10 years than we probably do have today. And that kind of growth uh, and that kind of youth to our state uh, is an advantage for us, but we've got to stay on top of these things. And if you're a young person, uh, who happens to be listening to this podcast, A, thank you uh, for listening <laughs> to some things that I think will be important for you. Uh, but B, uh, know that if, if you can dream it, if you can visualize it, if you can articulate 
what it is you want to do. There are legit some people that want to make sure you actualize on that. Let me, let me rephrase that so a young person can digest that. If you've already thought up what you want to be and you can't figure out how to get there, uh, ask someone uh, what they think about it. Someone you trust, um, because they're talking to a lot of folks that do what I do, what Travis does, what Valerie does. Th th they've got the info. Ask them. You know, if, you're, if your desire is to be a YouTube star, um, the first conversation you need to have is how you monetize YouTube. Um, stardom's not good enough. Uh, You've you got, you got to eat if you want to be a star. And so uh, help people help you get the answers that you need for your questions and ask the questions. Uh, I can assure you, uh, if you're 17 and you already have an idea of what you want to do in life, uh, there's going to be a whole lot of people over the age of, of 25 that want to talk to you about that and help you get the path for yourself because we're counting on you. That's the future of this state. This state will continue to be successful if you are successful. And so no matter where you are in the workforce, whether you're 15, 35, 55, or 70, if you're in the workforce, we need to find those pathways for you. Uh, but we can't do that unless you tell us what they are. And so that's why I do videos on LinkedIn. It's, it's why, well, I came on this show because Valerie made such a compelling case for why I need to come on this podcast. But, but I've had a great time and I got to talk about some things that are pretty critical to me. My, my LinkedIn videos are two minutes in length. So I think right. we've done 25 weeks worth of LinkedIn videos uh, today on this podcast. And it's fun and it's gratifying and it's an opportunity for us to spread the word. Uh, some things that we think are pretty cool, uh, we just hope you think they're pretty cool too. And if you do think they're pretty cool, uh, hey, drop a note in the comments for us because uh, that's how we'll know you've been watching and listening. Uh, give this podcast a like, just go on the middle row, it's the thumbs up, punch that one so that we'll know that you're interacting with the media that you're seeing today. We can't know how you felt about it unless you Tell us how you felt about it. And if you feel like hitting the thumbs down logo, um, why don't you send me an email at, at, uh, at my email address here at TWC and let me address that before you hit that thumbs down logo. I'll do my best to clear up whatever misconception there might have been. Okay, with that, I can't even close it out. You did it for us. You did a tremendous job. We learned so much from you. And with all the discussion today, I think we can all walk away knowing we have a lot of good work to, to do, a lot needs to be done and continued. But before we go, Chairman Daniel, there's one question I just need you to answer. What's the name of that ag teacher? You alluded to him. You mentioned him many, many times. You have to give him a name now. Give him a official shout out. My ag teacher is uh, Vernon Marquart. Vernon Marquart, and he was a uh, he was an Air Force veteran. He was a retired um, uh, enlisted. Uh, well, he was a sergeant when he retired out of the Air Force, and was fighting Texas Aggie class of eighty something, and was an ag teacher at Itasca High School in Itasca, Texas. And uh, I have managed to stay in touch with him even long after he left ag teaching. He was a remarkable man with a remarkable family and uh, he meant a lot to me and continues to do so. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing his name and sharing his memory. And with that, you did all the closing. So to everybody listening, do what Chairman Daniel says <laughs> to do. Y'all have a great day. Thank Bye. You.